chapter 5, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to be looking at the last portion of the chapter, verses 29 to 42. Last week, as we began verse 17, uh, in verse 17, I, I shared with you that really through the end of the chapter, it's really just one um, one topic uh, that, that we're dealing with, and we're just breaking it up into two parts, and so we're doing that second part today, 29 to 42. I'm going to go ahead and read. If you'll just follow along with me in your Bible, I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at the close of this fifth chapter. This really dramatic ending of this particular day, this particular incident, as the apostles stand up and declare their position, as you, Lord, by your Spirit, did his work in them and through them, you desire now to do your work in us and through us. And God, might we hear these things, and Lord, give us the wisdom and understanding not only to understand what you're saying, but also to know how we're to apply these truths to our lives. God, have your way in us, we pray, and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. We see in verse 29 that first word, that contrasting word, but contrasting what had just taken place. We saw in verse 28, at the close of that particular passage, that the uh, Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, and the high priest in particular, who would be running this council meeting, if you will, and it was the Jewish council, of course, the Sanhedrin, he said to, to the apostles, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. 
Now, one of the things we mentioned, of course, in, in, in relation to this statement is the idea that these apostles had filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, which was, of course, the doctrine of God. It came directly from Jesus Christ. Jesus claimed that what he said to them came directly from his Father in heaven. And so this, this chain from, from God the Father and to God the Son, through God the Son, and from him to the apostles, and from the apostles to us through the New Testament. So we receive the same message. And it is indeed our doctrine, but it didn't originate with us. It is ours, right? You claim this to be your doctrine. This is what you believe, right? It's our doctrine. But it originated with God himself. So it's really his given to us, but we own it for ourselves as the things that we believe. Amen? This is what we believe. And so we're going to share these things with others around us. But as I shared with you last week, too, it just kind of blows my mind that these Jewish leaders, the um, Sadducees in particular, they were the, really the, the ones who were in control of this ruling body. And yet, one of the things that, is, that, that was real about it, you know, it, it was a divided body of rulership. Much like in our own country, we have a divided body of, of rulership over our country, don't we? But one of the things that we see here is that while the Sadducees really had the power, the high priest, it was the Sadducees, those around him, they, they, they had control. The, the Pharisees were the ones that really had the popular doctrine among the people. Uh, and, and so the Sadducees would not do anything without the Pharisees' approval. So they, they, they needed to get them on their side, you know, and later on in Acts we're going to see that that. At one point in time, the Apostle Paul, when he's called before the Jewish leadership, he brings division between the uh, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees by speaking about the resurrection and so and so forth. And so he got himself uh, out of the position of being the topic of discussion and, and, and turned things around. But the point is that while the Sadducees were in control, they would not move forward with doing anything without the Pharisees uh, agreeing with them, which is important in the context of what we read today, because we, we see there that in verse 33, if it were up to the Sadducees, they would have killed these apostles right then and there. But of course, they didn't because of Gamaliel rising up and speaking, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But the thing that blows my mind is the fact that these men didn't even address the issue of the fact that they had been cast into prison and miraculously were released from prison with no, uh, with no one on the outside having any idea until they were actually in the temple obeying this angel, this messenger of the Lord who freed them, told them to go to the temple and teach in the name of Jesus. They did so, but... The, the doors were securely shut, as we saw. The, the guards outside the, the, the gates were, were there. They had no idea anybody had, had gone through. And it was like they were miraculous, miraculously just uh, placed from the prison into the temple. Unless the guards' eyes and ears were just totally shut, had, they had no idea. Then maybe that's what it was. But they, they had no idea. And... We, we saw last week that it, it is said to us that these leaders wondered about what the outcome would be here. It's like, wow, that kind of blows us away. How'd that happen? But they don't even address it. You know, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They didn't say, by the way, how'd you get into the temple? You know, they didn't address that at all. And I do believe, as I shared last week, that they just didn't want to go there. Didn't even want to bring it up because that was something that they uh, really didn't believe in those kinds of works and coming from angels because they did not believe in angels. As we continue, after these Sadducees, the high priest in particular said what he said, did we not strictly command you to not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, 
and intend to bring this man's blood on us. We talked about that issue of it, that part of it. In verse 29, we see the response. But Peter and the other apostles answered. Now, we take that to mean that Peter spoke up. He's the one that said this, but he spoke on behalf of the entire group of all the apostles, all 12 of them. And he said to them, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. Many translations word it this way. We must obey God rather than men. And that's a better way to take this. It's not saying, well, I think I really ought to. I mean, the, the way the word ought is used in our English language today really does not give the impact that the word must does. Because this is something that basically is a requirement from God. We must. There's no other option. We must obey God rather than men. It's a very powerful principle. Uh, we, we might call this the principle of priority. It's always God first, right? Let me say that again. It's always God first, right? Yeah, God first. We hear Him, and we respond to Him. And if, if, if people's voices around us would say something differently, well, we must obey God rather than these people. We must obey God first and foremost. Now, in our culture, I, I, I think it's moving more and more and more into a direction that it's becoming more and more of an issue for us as believers. But in general, normally we can do both. Normally we can do both. Obey God and man. And obviously, obviously this applies only when there's some kind of conflict between what a human authority dictates for us to do and what God dictates for us to do. If there's a conflict, we always choose to obey whom? God. We obey God if there's a conflict. If there is no conflict, we can do both. God says that we're to submit to governing authorities, for example. We'll be looking at that in a minute out of Romans 13. But the point is that if we're not in conflict with what God says, then what God does tell us is to obey our human authority. Now, having said that, and, and, and by the way, before we move on, on, to, on uh, from this, here in the context here, in Acts chapter 5, of course, the, the issue is whether or not they should speak, teach, and preach in the name of Jesus. And what the apostles are saying is, we've received a command from God that we are to, to speak and teach and preach in Jesus' name. We have to do that. Earlier in the fourth chapter, they said, we, we, we can't help but to speak of the things that we've heard and said. This is much stronger. This is much stronger and to the point. You can tell us what you want. We're going to listen to God. You can give us whatever law you want, whatever uh, um, regulation you want, whatever it may be. We're going to do what God says in, in, instead. And if it's going to bring some form of persecution to us, so be it. And as we come to the last verse in this chapter, we, we, we see, actually the second to the last, verse 41, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know what? It, it's, it's almost as if, you know, and we, and we don't know how long this beating took place. There were, the, the, the apostles were there. Twelve of them were there. And, and each of them received a beating. What does that mean? I don't know. Did they just kind of slap them around a little bit? I mean, did, did, did they take a, 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 a whip, a, you know, a, uh, and, and strike them on the back? I mean, was it not what Jesus had to go through, but something like that, but much more minor? 
You know, were, were they bloodied and bruised with fat lips and all this stuff? But whatever the case is, I mean, it's like you, you, you just picture in your mind these apostles leaving this council meeting all beat up, their clothes torn, they're, they're bloody, and they're high-fiving each other because, wasn't that cool? We got to suffer for Jesus, you know? That's the picture that we see here, isn't it? They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. Well, that's the end of my message. Verse 40, no, I'm just playing with you guys. You know, isn't it true that there are many levels in our own lives of human authority that we must submit to, right? A number of levels. Um, first of all, of course, I mean, let, let's, let, let's look at the idea of the governing authority. And by the way, as we look at this issue, this particular uh, principle, you know, what it does for us, I mean, it's a very powerful principle, as I said earlier. This principle does not free us from the responsibility to submit and to obey human authority. It doesn't free us from that. What it does, it frees us to obey God in every circumstance, in all areas of our lives. But it also brings a difficulty. Because with that freedom, isn't it true that freedom brings responsibility? We are responsible to honestly and accurately use this principle in a way that is pleasing and honorable to God. We're responsible to do that. God isn't just saying, you don't have to obey man. doesn't matter what to say. But, but you see, the Bible teaches that he has placed human authority over us. So when I, am, when I am submitted and obedient to the governing authorities, I'm being obedient to God unless they're telling me to not do what God has told me to do or unless they're telling me to do something that God has told me not to do. Right? Right? I need more, right? right? Okay. It brings that responsibility. So so I, you, we, we we've got to go through the process of determining. It's like, you know, I, I don't like this. But let's face it, just because we don't like it doesn't mean that God says No. Often we don't agree with what the governing authorities might say, but is the governing authority saying to sin? If not, if what they're telling us to do is not sin, then we must do it. Right? That was better for a first response. I still need more, right? Okay. Romans 13, 1 and 2, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. We get see, we see that? We have no authority except that which is given by God. And if we have authority, it has been given by God. And we must remember Paul writing to the Romans, the, the church in Rome, he's writing at a time that the Roman Empire was not exactly a safe place to be a Christian. Yet he's saying that the rulers of the Roman Empire, from the Caesars on down, were placed there by God. Now, we don't like that. But that's what the Bible says. Have you guys found that there's a lot of things that the Bible says that you don't really like? No authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, Again, there are a lot of things that we will not agree with. 
But if it is not specifically stated in the Bible that we uh, should rebel against the authority on this point, then we have to submit to the authority on that point. How about driving on the freeway? How fast do you guys drive? How many miles per hour over 65 have you determined is a safe place to go? Four miles, so you do 69, 70, 72. I'm with you on this. You know, and I see people passing by and I speed up. And it's like, you know, I mean, there, there's this aspect, too, of, you know, the flow of traffic, too. You know, well, Lord, I'm just doing, doing the flow of traffic. And still, you're doing, you're doing 70 and people are still passing by, so you feel okay, right? Well, the sign does say 65. Just saying. Just saying. Many things ex exist that are like that that are, re are really more serious, really more serious. You know, uh, for example, when the pandemic began in 2020, and we did not have an Easter service. Because the governing authority said it would be safest because you don't want to get people sick. People are going to be dying. Okay. We want to be safe. We want to protect the flock. Okay. We, we, we did that. Feeling like, believing that God was with us in that sentiment. But since that time, seeing everything has taken place... If the same th thing happens again, we'll do things differently. You know, um, it, it's like the choice that we made was, you know what? It would be safest. We don't know what's going on with this and everything. It's dangerous. We don't want to put people in danger. We'll, we'll just do this a different way. But then uh, even though God does say, you know, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. You know, and it's like, uh, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, you know, consider the people and be safe. And we'll be safe some other way, but we won't stop gathering. You know, uh, we'll figure something else out, but we will gather. And uh, we're just not going to go there again. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I've said this, this to you guys before, and I'm kind of going off my, my notes here, but... Uh, I, I've shared this with you. I, in the past, you know, we, we talk about, you know, when uh, as we get closer to the end, you know, the, the technology is here for the mark of the beast and so forth, and all this thing is in place, and, you know, how is this going to happen? I always believed, especially since, especially since uh, 911, I believed that this, it was going to be around an issue of security, that the mark of the beast was going to be given. I don't think that anymore. I think it's going to be an issue of health. Because I have seen, and so have you, that people are much more afraid of sickness, illness, and disease than terrorists. Have you guys noticed that? And I think the ruling powers have discovered that's a means to go. That's a means to go. So, anyway, just that, that was a bonus. <laughs> Not only do we have governing authority, but God has established authority in the home, hasn't he? He's established authority in the home. We see that God has established in the relationship between a husband and a wife that the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. We see these words. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There we see a chain of authority. 
We also see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, accompanied by fear of God. You know, and, and the reason I bring this up is because this is a, very, this is a difficult place in, 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 in marriages in terms of authority and the way God ha has established it. You know, I don't want to turn this into a teaching on marriage. However, however, this is something that God has given. Um, these, th th these verses in 1 Peter instruct married women to submit to their husbands. And I didn't hear what was said, but I know something was. I mean, th this touches chords, it does. It's a difficult area because, I mean, men, let's face it, there are times when we give some kind of instruction that is not good. Absolutely foolish. That's not going to work. And our wives have to battle with that. Now, this isn't going to work. This doesn't make sense. But is my husband asking me to sin? No. Okay. And there are many wives, especially wives who are married to husbands who don't know the Lord or who may know him, but not as serious in following him as they should be, that this brings an issue that's difficult. Ladies, remember, you are not going to answer to God for what happens to your family through the things that, that your husband decides to do. He is. He is you're only going to answer for whether or not you were faithful as a wife to do what a wife should do. Husband's going to answer to God. Now, there are times that a wife needs to decide, you know what, we're just not going to go there anymore. We've done this 12 times already. It brought a lot of pain. We're not going there anymore. I get that. I get that. But it just brings issues, doesn't it? But the principle of priority is, I must obey God rather than men. And if man is not telling me to do something that God doesn't want me to do, that he states specifically I ought not do, then I have to obey my husband. Bottom line, that's what it is. Now, um, that's where counseling can come in, those kinds of issues, of course. But sometimes, you know, um, one member of the marriage wants to have counseling, the other one doesn't, you know, and that, 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 that's, a, that's a pretty clear sign of what's kind of going on. If one doesn't, then that particular person probably realizes that he or she is not where he or she ought to be in terms of submission to God first and foremost. Um, this passage in 1 Peter tells us that disobedient or unbelieving husbands may be won not through their rebellion, uh, the rebellion of the wife, but through their chaste conduct accompanied by fear of God. When a husband understands that the wife is only doing this I mean, and, and, and it is your responsibility, by the way, wives, to make sure that, that you let your, your husband know that you disagree. You're his helpmate. He needs your help. He may not acknowledge it, but he needs your help. Every husband needs the help of a wife. All of us do. And if I acknowledge that and hear her, God could very well be speaking through her. But then again, God... Uh, uh, the wife could just simply be speaking the words of the enemy also, like Job's wife, for example. You know, why don't you just curse God and die, she said. So it's our responsibility to look to God and see what he has to say. But 
through the obedience, the chaste conduct of a wife, a husband can be one. You know, in my years of ministry, I have seen on several occasions a wife praying for the salvation of her husband. He finally comes to Christ. Then there's the process of, of this husband growing in his relationship with the Lord to the point that he is taking his role as husband seriously and taking the lead, and he begins to do so. But his wife has been handling things for so long and even leading the, the, the family spiritually. When he begins to step up to do so, then there's a clash between husband and wife. Well, who's actually in charge? And, and the wife then begins to, well, rebel against her husband over the issue of authority in the home. In Genesis chapter 4, we see that the Lord says that's exactly what's going to hap happen. It's exactly what's going to happen. And so, because with, with sin came to a woman a desire for control. Men already have it. The desire for control. And so the, the, the battle takes place. And there's, there can be a spiritual warfare that takes place between a husband and a wife. We, we all understand that. At this point, we need to move on. But th those are just some things that, that are very real. Now, also with children in the home, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now, there are other areas of authority as well. Church authority, for example. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, that would, for that would be unprofitable for you. We also see in the workplace as well. Like I said, we don't always agree. But there are things that are given for them. And, and back to the Hebrews uh, passage there in terms of leadership within the church. You know, uh, I and the other men who are leading this church, we do so prayerfully. And it's our heart's desire that you would prosper spiritually. That's why we do the things we do, make the decisions that we make, so that you would prosper spiritually. And as the writer to the Hebrews wrote there, let them do so. And they, they, they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. And that's true. We must give account to God for the way that we lead you. We, we must give account to that. You know, are we seriously and really concerned with your spiritual health? First and foremost. First and foremost, spiritual health. And if so, God is going to bless us. He's going to bless this church. But as the writer says, let them do so with joy and not with grief. What would bring grief? Rebellion within the church. But it brings so much joy to see growth, to see spiritual growth in people, to see to see you guys loving on each other. That, that is the, the greatest sign that the word of God is being preached and that the Holy Spirit is active and that, that we as a church are following what the word of God says when we love one another. Because Jesus said in John 13, all will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Amen? I love to see that. I mean, that, that's one of the greatest things that can happen to me just to see you love each other. I love seeing that. Also in Ephesians, we see a general attitude that is um, shown that we ought to have. Ephesians 5.21, just before the marriage passage, just before Paul writes that a woman is to be submitted to her husband as the church is submitted to, 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 to Jesus. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of of God. So just generally having an attitude of submission toward other believers, which basically means I'm here to please you. I'm here to serve you. 
is basically a servant's heart kind of attitude. That, that's what that is. I'm not here to rule over you. I'm here to serve you. And if we were all serving each other in that way, what a wonderful place this is. And I see that take place here in this fellowship. And I'm greatly, greatly, greatly blessed. You guys bring a lot of blessing to me. You truly do. Thank you for following the Lord in the way that you do. But again, whenever there's a conflict, we must obey God rather than men. If there's no conflict, we can do both. Now, that's verse 29. We'll get through the rest fairly quickly, I promise you. In verses 30 and 31, we see what God has done for Jesus. One, he raised up. We see the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. So in raising up Jesus, what Peter is talking about is the fact that God the Father raised up Jesus as the Messiah. And he ministered as the Messiah for three and a half years. And he was accepted by many, rejected by many, and especially by the Jewish leadership as the Messiah. But he was raised up as the Messiah. The, the Jewish leadership rebelled against that did not receive nor accept Jesus as the Messiah. They crucified him. Of course, it was the Romans who physically did it. It was the, the Jewish leaders, the, the um, Sadducees in particular, who led the charge, the high priest being in the forefront of it all. But, of course, we have to remember that it was our sin who placed Jesus there, really. God determined from the beginning that this would be so because he wanted to save us from our sin. That's the plan. That's the plan that was in motion. But we see also here, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree, this idea of hanging on a tree is connected to what we see in the Old Testament that, that tells us that cursed is every man who hangs, everyone who hangs on a tree. So, they, 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 they gave to Jesus the greatest indignity that they could have given by crucifying him. But then we see in verse 31, him, God has exalted to his right hand. So not only did Jesus, was Jesus raised up by God the Father to be the Messiah, he was also raised from the dead, wasn't he? And exalted to the right hand of the Father, for he is Prince and Savior. Speaking of his ministry, to Israel at that particular point in time, that to, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses. We are his witnesses to these things. They saw Jesus die on the cross. They saw him in his resurrected body for a period of 40 days with a number of, of appearances. And then after the 40-day period, they saw him ascend into heaven and into the clouds. They were eyewitnesses of this. And as eyewitnesses, they could only speak of the things that they had seen and heard. And they had to obey God rather than men. So you killed him. God raised him up. And we're witnesses along with the Holy Spirit as a witness whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, in Acts 1.8, we see these words, Jesus speaking to the apostles, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We also see in verses 26 and 27 these words, but when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So the reality of the Holy Spirit being witness, the apostles being witness, the disciples being witness, all who saw Jesus in, in his resurrected body. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that there, at one time there were a, a gathering of 500 people who saw him at one time. 
He goes on to say, most of them are alive today. Go find them and ask them. Now, people today have trouble with this because this is so old and they, there's no witnesses they can ask about it. But we've got the witnesses' accounts here in the Scriptures. And there's some outside of the Scriptures as well. This is a verifiable historical fact, the resurrection of Christ. And that's a problem that the Sadducees had because they did not believe in the resurrection and they needed to put a stop to it. So that's why they... That's why they persecuted these apostles and the Christians later. Notice that the Holy Spirit is a whom and not a which. A person, not a thing. Always important to note that, the way that these things are written. And also it is important to note that God gives His Holy Spirit to those who believe in Jesus. No, oh wait, oh, that's, that's not what it says. God has given his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. You find that interesting? Isn't it true that obedience is the sign of true faith? See, that's the thing. You can say you believe, but if you don't obey, you probably don't. Maybe you want to, maybe you think you do, but you don't. Because you're not obedient, that's what God has to say. God gives his spirit to those who obey him, who obey God. Well, they heard all this, verse 33. They rose up and they were saying, you know what? Let's put an end to them. Let's just kill them right now. Let's execute them. Let's stone them for their blasphemous statements that they're making about Jesus. And let's put an end to it. Gamaliel rose up. And we see what he said here. Let, let's go ahead and read. Uh, then one of the council stood up, a, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Later on, we do learn that Paul the Apostle sat under Gamaliel uh, as a Pharisee and, and taught uh, Judaism, Phariseeism, by Gamaliel, one who was the, the highest, the most highly respected uh, uh, rabbi of his day. He said to the men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain. All who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. He gives a couple of example, uh, examples of men who rose up, gathered a following, they died, the whole thing was the whole thing stopped. And so he says here in verse 38, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But it is, if, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. You guys agree with that? If it's of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest you even be found to fight against God. This uprising of these 12 men very much alive today. We are a testament to that meeting here this morning, aren't we? A testament to the fact that this is, this was, is, and always will be of the Lord. Now, in verse 40, we see they agreed with him. Okay, we ought to leave them alone, but let's beat them up a bit. <laughs> They didn't leave them alone. They, they were wanting to make their point. So they beat them and then let them go. Stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. They weren't going to stop. They didn't stop. Aren't you glad they didn't? Oh, praise God that they did not stop. Now, what about this things that Gamaliel says? Is it? Was he right about that? Is he right about the fact, about what he said, that if it's not of God, it will stop? Look around you today. How many religions that are not of God have been going on for centuries? Just saying. 
It's not always true. In the end, it will be true. In the end, it always comes ring, rings true that if it's of God, it's going to stand. If it's not, it won't. But there's, there's a reality to people being involved in this. There's a reality to deception and clever and effective deception taking place. People following things that are not true. And, I mean, Islam is one of those things. Islam has been going on for 15, 1,600 years. People buy into lies. And that's where we come in. That's where we come in. Let me ask you another question. Did the Apostle Paul believe what Gamaliel was, said was true? Did he just sit still in the midst of the rejection of Christ? I mean, he himself was very active in wanting to put an end to the way, the Christian movement. And then when he came to Christ, he was very active in promoting it. We've got to remember that God uses people to accomplish his purposes. When lies are being told about Jesus, we've got to stand up and expose those lies. And not just say, oh, well, give me some popcorn. It'll end if it's, of, if it's not of God. No, you know, I mean, it's like, no, we've, we've got to be busy speaking and standing for truth, don't we? Amongst the people around us. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Because that is true, we need to be involved in truth-telling. Speaking the truth of the Scriptures. And when it comes to the persecution, we've got to remember, you know, the things that are going on here. The Sadducees, uh, Jesus spoke of the Sadducees as being hypocrites. He exposed the reality of the, the teaching of the resurrection. You know, the Sadducees came to him, and in Luke 20, we see this passage. We don't have time to read the entire passage, but the Sadducees came to him. Hey, hey Jesus, you know, in the resurrection, tell us this. You know, there, there's a, a, a woman who married this guy, and he died. Then he, she married his brother. He died, and seven brothers all married her. Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Remember that passage? And, and then Jesus said, well, none of them really, because in heaven there's no marriage. But then he said to them, beginning in verse 37, of Luke chapter 20. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Exposing the error of their doctrine that there's no resurrection. And he called them hypocrites. And then he himself was killed, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the very miracles that were going on in Jerusalem now, quite prevalent, prevalently, were spoken to be of Jesus, who still is alive because he was raised from the dead. And, all, and so they, they needed to put a stop to it. But as they determined to let the, the apostles go after beating them. Again, they left just high-fiving. Wasn't that cool? We were beaten in Jesus' name. We were beaten for his sake. What a cool thing that is. Guys, let us look. Let us watch. Let us learn. Let us understand. There are more important things than our own comfort. More important things than our own plan, our ease, our safety. There are more important things than our lives. It's not so important that I live. It's important that I recognize that Jesus lives. Because when I recognize that he lives and I submit my life to him, then I do, in fact, live forever. We've got to remember, life does not consist of what we see in this world. 
Every one of us, if the Lord tarries, every one of us are going to die physically. Some sooner than others. Every one of us are. But we will not die spiritually. Our souls will continue to live on in the presence of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. No faith in Jesus Christ. Our souls will continue to exist but not live because life consists of being in the presence of God, continuing to exist in a place of eternal death and damnation. Quite different, but continuing to exist. Peter would write in 1 Peter 4.14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the Spirit of God, excuse me, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And then, daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Regardless of the level of persecution, they were not going to stop. And we, regardless of the level of persecution, we, we, we tend to just shy away from people not liking us anymore. You know, it's time for us to grow up. If that's an attitude that we have, it's time to grow up. It's time to get our focus off of ourselves, off of our own lives and on Jesus himself. Because this may be shocking to you, but you know what? Life is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any man except the man, Jesus Christ, who also is God, who's at the right hand of the Father, who died for your sins and mine, rose from the dead, and is at the right hand of the Father even now. It's about him. And so when the persecution gets so hot that our lives actually become threatened, let's continue on. Because when one soul, or when one, when one body, when one person dies in the name of Christ, many, many seeds are planted through that. God sees to it. Because others see, you know what? There must be something to that. Look at what's going on. God help us. As they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute us. Today, being Communion Sunday, we're going to take a good hard look at that persecution of Jesus. The fact that he was executed by the Jewish authorities, but we know, reading the scriptures, it was all a plan of God. It was all a plan of God. We're going to, we're going to move forward and have com take communion right now. I'm going to ask Richard to come on up and and share with us a communion song. But guys, as we, as we look at this today, as we partake of communion, let us remember what Jesus did for us. We're going to be remembering. We're going to be examining our own hearts. We will look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 in just a moment after this first song. Then we'll partake together. And then we're going to have a closing song. Let's worship the Lord. Let's thank Him for who He is and what He's done for us.